Hi, if we haven't met, my name is uh, Brett Schellebarger. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new here, welcome. We're, we love that you're here. Um, so Pastor Rob, around 3 o'clock this afternoon, uh, called for a sick day. <laughs> he called me and he said, hey, bro, I am. This, there's this crazy flu bug going around. It is wicked. I would say probably 80% of our staff is out. Uh, John Mink, Micah, um, Darby, uh, they thought it was food poisoning, but they, they it ended up being the flu. And so Pastor Rob is starting to feel queasy. I know Michelle was. So it's just, it's kind of rifling through. So we'll pray for that tonight. Um, but pray for me because uh, usually when I do a study, you know, I'll, I'll spend a week marinating on it. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll read the text over and over throughout the week, and then I'll start outlining, you know, uh, three or four days before. So um, it was like drinking out of a fire hose this afternoon as I was trying to study and cram for tonight. And because Rob was very specific, he said, yeah, we're in Hebrews 11, just uh, you can pick up where I left off. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's do that at a moment's notice. And so here I am. And um, so we're going to pray for all of you and for me, uh, but mainly that God does and accomplishes what he wants to do uh, through the body of believers, through his church, that's me and you. So, um, yeah, I think the last time I did this, I was in Indonesia, and we were baptizing guys, um, men and women down at the ocean, and all of a sudden, like, we broke for lunch, and then right at lunchtime, one of the uh, Indonesian uh, leaders grabbed me and said, hey, I need you to come teach at our, at our church. And when they said church, it was like house churches, because in Indonesia, they don't have, like, big buildings like we do. They do, like, thousands of house churches. And so I get there, and, and I, 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 don't have a, I don't have anything. I, I'm, I just got done baptizing. I hadn't studied anything. And, and they said, you're going to preach in about an hour. So I'm in the car looking at what I'm going to preach. And God just says, okay, teach on Ephesians chapter 5. So I just did. And so I get to this house church, and it's packed. And they got a full worship band and everything and packed in this living room of this house. And it was wild. And I had a translator with me. And uh, I, I preached for like 45 minutes, just no notes, just off the cuff, off the uh, scripture. And then um, the translator taps me on the shoulder. She says, Pastor, you got to keep going because they're used to like two-hour preaching. So we just went for another 45 minutes to an hour just so I went through Ephesians 6 and, sat, and we just kept going. And so uh, anyways... I don't know how long we're going to go tonight, if it will be short or long, but hey, bear, bear with me. We're, we're in it together. Uh, Lord, thank you for the word. And Lord, as we take a look at the hall of faith, Hebrews 11, I pray, Lord, you would pour into us, Lord, um, a deeper faith. Lord, I pray that you would give us, Lord, your words, the words of eternal life. You would show us, Lord, through your word, what you desire for us to see and hear. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would take the foolish things of this world, 
that is me, and confound the wisdom of the wise, Lord, that you would take my weaknesses and you would make all of us strong in you. God, use your word to do that, to to encourage us, to strengthen us, and to embolden us to to a life of faith that we may be transformed, that we be, we be carried off, and that we would bear your image. Please, Lord, do that by your living word. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. All right. <clears throat> so here's what's happening. In Hebrews chapter 10, we have the author of Hebrews. We think it's Paul, but we don't know for sure. But in in Hebrews 10 and through all the chapters of Hebrews, they are trying to convince Jewish Christians of their newfound faith in in the Lord. And I'll tell you what, they were discouraged. And what we're going to talk about is how faith is the helper of overcoming discouragement. And I think a lot of us have felt discouraged um, in this past year, it, do, do I get an amen on that? How many of you have been discouraged? You know, some of you may be discouraged today. Um, many of you may be encouraged. I don't know. I don't know where you fall. But I am a, I fall into the trap of discouragement. I do. Often. I think it's one of my weaknesses is that I can get discouraged easily. What I love to do is encourage others, though. I love that. I think that's one of my gifts, is to encourage others. Because I think what happens to me is I get discouraged. And so what's happening is that the author of Hebrews, especially through chapter 10, is saying that they're on this theme of the, the danger of unbelief. They do not want us Christians to fall into this unbelief. So he's trying to say that Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus is better than Joshua. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is the better priest. And so they're trying to encourage these Jewish Christians of who Jesus is and trying to to better them in their faith and try to bring faith to them. Let me read to you uh, the last two verses of chapter 10. It says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So the author is trying to say is that because of Jesus, and he's the better of all these things, he says, and, and, and we quoted Habakkuk 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, now the just shall live by faith, that, that in Jesus, he's trying to draw a conclusion that in Jesus, that, that we live by faith, and that's what we need to do. And now we go on to verse 11, or excuse me, chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things not seen. 
Faith is the substance of things, excuse me, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For it by the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, being dead still speaks. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had his testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we're just going to cover one through six tonight. And so what was happening in the Christian, Jewish Christian world at this time, is that they are getting persecuted. They're in in the Jerusalem church, and they are getting persecuted uh, Caesar Nero was lighting Christians like candlesticks, mocking them, saying, you're the light of the world. And that was deep persecution. So you can see the discouragement of the Christian at that time, that that discouragement would cause them to, to forget that faith, to like relinquish their faith in Christ. And that was, that was what was happening here. There was this disbelief that was happening and people were falling away and jesus remember jesus said it he says you will get persecuted he he told the told the christians that and now faith and i think pastor rob covered this last week this whole scripture right here now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. If I sit in that chair right there, I can see that it's going to support me. I have faith that that chair is going to hold all 240 pounds of me. Now, if I was to sit down and there was no chair, whoa, that would be deeper faith, right? Definitely. I'd fall flat on my behind. Now, there are things that God has encouraged us in, in this call of faith, that there are things that we just can't see. You know, I, I'm, I'm so proud of our pastor. When he first chose to run for uh, the assembly, he had no idea what that was. He had no clue. All he knew was that God said, go do this, right? He had no idea how to assemble a team. He had no clue. And God said, just just do it. And what happened? God assembled teams. He went out and he worked his tush off trying to get elected. And everyone joined him in that. And everyone else, they, they didn't have... I mean, they must have had faith as well to jump in and go, I'm going to follow this crazy pastor. 
And I think that back then, it was even more wild that they were following a Jesus that they thought, whoa, people are getting burned and killed, and I'm going to jump right into that. Now, they, they had hope because a lot of them saw the resurrection, right? They were eyewitnesses. They were eyewitnesses of seeing Jesus walk with them for 40 days. So they did have some evidence. But there, there are now believers like us today where we didn't wit- eyewitness that. We didn't see that. And so our faith must be stronger. We must believe. And here's, here's the thing. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. And unless we camp in God's word and we immerse ourselves in God's word, that faith isn't going to stir up and cause us to do radical things for him. You know, I was, when I was um, growing up, my mom told me these stories about my dad. Now, my dad uh, was not a wealthy man. He was, he was a woodcarver. He was an artist. And uh, back in the 70s, there was no money in woodcarving. I mean, you just don't make any... You don't make a living doing that. But, but you know what? He, he was such a man of faith. He, he figured out ways. And, and we lived in this one-bedroom cottage when I was born, this one-bedroom cottage in Montecito. And this is when, when Montecito was just Montecito. It, it was part of Santa Barbara. Today, that one-bedroom cottage w- would be worth millions. But back then, it was just you know a few hundred dollars in the 70s. And so my dad would go to work every day, and my mom took a leap of faith. She came from a family that was pretty well off, you know? And she took a, took a leap of faith on this guy. And growing up, I, I've, I saw them. It was like paycheck to paycheck. And there were times where, you know, he would come home. My mom said he would just come home with uh, bags of food. He would come home with maybe a toy or two for me. Um, and, and, and my mom and my dad just had this, they had this unstoppable faith that was so recognizable. They knew that God would provide, even in a strange economy, even with my dad with this obscure career choice that he, that he took. And, and I've, I've always watched that. I always, as a, as a young man, I've always seen that. And even in my own, you know, youth, uh, growing up, um, I remember there were times um, where, you know, you, you know those times where God backs you in a corner financially? Who's been there? Anyone? <laughs> yeah. Well, we've all been there. We've been backed into a corner financially. Um, I used to work for Four Seasons Hotels. Um, I was in sales. And when you're in sales, it's feast or famine. It really is. And I remember, you know, Susie and I had just moved to this area, Newberry Park, and we just bought a home, and um, things were going really, really well. And then the hotel hit kind of a dip, you know. Uh, it, it, especially it, it, during the economy, it, it just took, it took a dive. And then it became famine for sure. And I remember 
you know, just sitting there, and, and, and I was laying on the couch in this new home, just house poor, and I had all these bills piled up on my chest, and I'm just laying there, and I'm saying, God, I cannot pay one of these bills. Please help me. And it's just a prayer of, of desperation. And um, I set those bills aside, and I said, Lord, somehow you're going to pay for this. I wake up, I put on my suit. Next day, I go to work, and um, I get a phone call from one of my clients. And uh, they said, hey, uh, Brett, we're here in the lobby. Can you just come meet us? And at the time, I was working at the Regent Beverly Wilshire. It was a Four Seasons. And I come down, and, and I meet them, and this just neat couple. And uh, they said, hey, uh, we just found out that uh, you're having a baby. And Susie was pregnant with Malia at the time. And I said, yeah, yeah, we are. Thank you so much. And they handed me this gift. It was this box. And, and so I, um, I, I thank them. I take the box up to my office, and I start peeling off the wrapper, you know. And lo and behold, it's this beautiful Calvin Klein uh, baby jumpsuit, and it was just beautiful, and I was like, wow, look at this, and then in in the little Calvin Klein jumpsuit was a card, I pulled out the card, I opened up the card, and I pulled this card, and a wad of cash just comes flowing out, and I'm like, whoa, look at this, <laughs> and, and you know what? That wad of cash paid almost every bill that I had outstanding. It was, it was a, I was, I called, see, I go, honey, I can't wait to show you this new jumpsuit that my client got from Malia, and I kept it a surprise, and I brought it home, and I, and I said, here, here's the money to pay for our bills, and here's the jumpsuit for our, our little baby girl, but, um, but we did, we had, it, it took, it took faith for us to just believe that God's going to provide and I know some of you might be going through that right now, just coming off Thanksgiving, going into the Christmas season. Um, things might be tight financially, you know. There might be a loved one in your family that doesn't know Christ, you know, that's hard-hearted. And you're begging God, God, would you save that one? Would you bring healing to another, we know of um, we know of some people that right now are are suffering. They're they're in the sick bed and they got cancer and death is knocking at the doorstep. and And what do you do in these circumstances? What do you do when when you're faced with cancer and death and financial ruin? And it, you you need Jesus. You have to have something. You have to see something that you can't see and believe that God is going to deliver, that God is going to do something, that he's going to pull you out of this. We have a big God that we serve. And that's why, and, you know, and that's why it says in 38, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Like God's just saying, man, have faith in me. Trust me for everything. 
I know we've been going through, just our family have been going through some trials recently, and we've just been trusting God, just praying, God, I know that you're there. I know that you're going to, there are things that we're hoping for out there in the future that you're going to deliver. And, and we're just, we're, we're banking, Lord, that you're going to be there. This is what the early church needed. They needed that hope. They needed to have the hope. The writer saw that and they said, we, you need to trust in something that you just can't see right now. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. You, can, you, you just you need to know that. In verse 2, it says, For by it, meaning faith, for by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. And so we see that the elders are important here because I think what we find in here in the church is that we need to be able to follow our leadership. We need to be able to look at our leaders and go, I see his faith. He has a good testimony that, that our leadership, um, it says, for by it the elders obtained, meaning past, that they got a good testimony. Leadership is used by God to help us overcome discouragement. You know, during this crazy election, I, I, I was looking to Pastor Rob. I was going, hey, how's your faith on this? You know? How you doing? And you know what? He was rock solid. And I could look at him and I can I could have hope and encouragement going, hey, we're gonna be okay. You know, it's kind of like a child um looking at their parents going, you know, I have faith in mom and dad that we're gonna get food, that that we have shelter, that we have that things are gonna be covered. You know, leadership's important for us to look to. And I think these elders that are listed in the Hall of Faith, you have Abraham, Moses, David, you know, you have all these people listed here. Abel, Noah, um, it goes on and on. Sarah is in there. And you see this, that, that they all lived this faith out. They had to. They trusted God that, that he would. And, and, and the Christians at this time needed to look to their, their elders. They needed to look to their patriarchs and say, yeah, they had faith to get through. And I'm sure you guys have some, some spiritual heroes in your life, right? I know I do. There are spiritual heroes in my life that I look to and I go, they had faith, and, and I, I'm going to follow them. I may, not, I may lack faith. I may have very little faith. Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said that, that if you have this faith of a mustard seed, that you could move a mountain. And if you have mountains in your life that are crumbling down on you, that, are, that, that look unbearable, he says all it takes is a tiny little mustard seed that faith and then you can remove that mountain that mountain can move out of the way and that's what that's what they needed they needed that 
They needed to see that. There are great examples of godliness. And all kinds of leaders go through different circumstances. They go through different trials. You know, I, I look at what James says. You know, when, you, when we go through a trial, he says, count it all joy, right? That's nuts, right? Count it all joy when you face these trials. Because what they're doing is they're perfecting you. They're perfecting your faith. He tells us that without trials, how can you be tested? You know, and it's what it's it's that faith that that tests that trial. Let's look at verse three. It says in verse three, it says, "By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God." Wow. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. What does he mean by that? Here's where your, here's where your faith is tested. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. If you cannot get past Genesis 1.1, your faith is going to fail. It's going to crumble. I mean, you look at the, you look at the glory of the earth. You look at the, the vastness of the heavens, of the stars. And how can you deny that there is no God? How can you do that? Truthfully, in your heart. I don't think it's possible. But some people say that there is no God. And I I think God made the earth and all that is in it so beautiful. You know, that that you couldn't deny the God. You look at our fish tank. Have you seen the fish tank, the new fish tank? Thank you, Kevin Golan. Isn't that awesome? Okay, Who who can do fish like God? Who? Anyone? Unbelievable. The variety of fish. You see a butterfly. The artistry in that. That didn't happen by chance. There, there is a God behind that design. It says, by faith we understand how the worlds were framed. We understand how God put all this together. We understand how he hangs the earth on nothing. And if, it, if the earth was to move just a smidge, did you know it would just eviscerate? That it's perfectly aligned? If, if a meteor or another planet was just moved out of alignment just a smidge, the whole galaxy would just implode. God has hangs everything on that. In Psalm 33, he says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Right? When God said, let there be light, what was there? There was light. 
when God said, let there be the firmament above the earth, there was a firmament. There was, there was heavens and there were planets and God created trees and living creatures. He created man in his likeness, in his image. God set this thing up so perfectly. And, and by all means, we did not see that happen as this verse says, but we definitely see the evidence of that, don't we? It says, by faith we understand. We, we, we did not see this act of creation. We only know it by faith. We also know this by reason because we know that the world was created and created by an intelligent designer. Again, this is faith going beyond, but not in contradiction to reason. Dave Guzik said that. Not in contradiction to reason. That's important. That It's not blind faith. It's, it's faith that has substance. It's faith that, that has volume. And we see that. We see that every time. Um, I see that when a baby is born. When, I, when my kids were born, that blew my mind. I was like, one of my kids is here. He left, but I'm sure he'll come back. But it blew my mind how beautiful they are, how fragile they are. That God gave them lungs, just like me, that the eyes and, and everything. When when Malia was born, my youngest, I just I thought she was the most perfect baby that I've ever seen in my life. She was so perfect. Zach was a little different. Zach came out like a conehead. <laughs> they had to like rip open the stomach and pull Zach out because he just was stubborn. He would not make it through and 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 but he had this cone head he was jaundice he was like yellow and i had to take him out and give him a a tan <laughs> to get rid of it was crazy but then i look at him now and i go man he's he's a good looking boy he's a good man god knew what he was doing and it looked ugly in the, in the beginning but it, it, it shaped up it got it got better That's a good, that's a God that I that I can relate to, for sure. I love verse four. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, being dead, still speaks. Everyone knows the story of Cain and Abel, right? You know that story. There's a cool story here. This is this is a neat story. Um, let me read that to you. Verses uh, Genesis four three through five. You can turn there if you want, but I'll just read it. It says, "And and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering." of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And it says, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. 
but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So you, you, th- you look at the story and go, oh, God, what's the big deal? You know, one brought fruits and vegetables. The other brought um, a sacrifice of an animal. And so now we go back to Cain and Abel's parents, Adam and Eve, right? You know the whole story there. They fall into sin. You know, they eat of the forbidden fruit. Um, they become knowledgeable about good and evil. They, they figure out, oh, we are naked. You know, that light that was shining around them um, disappeared. It's gone. They are naked in the garden going, what happened? Hiding from God, distant from God. And God comes and says, why, are you, why do you think you're naked? And then you hear this whole blame game. Adam blames Eve, and then Eve blames the serpent, and, and this whole blame game. And God steps in and says, okay, I'm going to take care of business here. I'm gonna. And so what God does is he slays an animal, and he, they were covered with fig leaves, which is man's solution for covering sin, right? And so God says, no, we're going to do it the right way. We're going to sacrifice an animal because the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin is the first gospel message that we see in the entire Bible. He clothes Adam and Eve with, with the, the skins, animal skins, and it's the covering of their nakedness, of their sin. And then he banishes them from the garden. And so Adam and Eve pick this up and they go, okay, this is, this, is, this is the proper form of worship. And so from that point forward, God instructs them, this is how you worship me. There must be forgiveness of sin because now that you are in sin, there needs to be an atonement for sin. And so you can just imagine the picture. You can imagine um, Adam and Eve taking this animal to their place, that altar that they go, and laying that animal down and sacrificing it unto the Lord. And then you can see what that, them coming back. Just picture this in your mind. These two parents coming back, and and Cain and Abel are watching their parents ball and cry because they just met with a holy God. And they're seeing their parents do this time and time and time again. That's good parenting for you parents. Allow your kids to see your worship and your humility and your sacrifice before the Lord. They need to see that. Because as parents, things are caught, not taught. You're going to catch it. So one of them caught it. Abel caught that, the, the, that, that sacrifice, that, that sacrifice that pleased God. He saw that. Cain would take the more worldly route. He's all, I'm going to be hip and cool, and I'm going to try to do my fruit and vegetable thing. And it didn't please God. It wasn't the prescribed 
sacrifice or the prescribed worship. And I think um, we could be guilty of that sometimes as believers, as the church, that we come to God with worldly sacrifice, that we come to him with well, fruits and vegetables when we really should be coming with what God has asked. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad as a believer in Jesus? Thank you for Jesus, right? Dying on the cross, being that ultimate sacrifice. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Aren't you glad that we don't have to drag ourselves up to Mount Boney, you know, with a lamb or some kind of animal and sacrifice it, right? We don't have to do that anymore because Jesus it paid that price. He, he did that. But he, what he is requiring of us to do is to maybe drag ourselves up to Mount Boney, us as living sacrifices, as Romans 12 talks about. That we're living, that we're, we're the new sacrifice, right? We're going to go, we're going to go to God and be that living sacrifice. And we're going to work it out. You know, when I, when my wife asked me to go pick up milk at the store, I'm going to be that living sacrifice. I'm going to put down what I'm going to do, and I'm going to go buy milk. Right? That's the last thing I want to do is go buy milk. Right? Can I get an amen, men? That honeydew list. But what God is saying is that that you're now that sacrifice. You don't have to drag an animal up. You are it. You become that living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to the Lord. That what we have, that our vessels, these bodies that we have, that we're going to offer them to the Lord. Lord, here, here, I, here I am. Send me. You know, the Lord may ask you to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice at your work, as you're going to work, right? Lord, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to offer myself to you, and you do with me whatever you wish. Do I need a witness? Do I need to clean up around the office? What do I need to do? to represent you. Maybe you're doing that in your family. Maybe you need to do that in your family. Be a living sacrifice. Whatever it is, God is going to require that that you're it. I think um, it said that Cain was, was really mad. He was really angry. And I think what happens is that when we feel that we're not worthy or we're rejected by the Lord, that it's it's a place that we can lash out and we can and as we know later in this story that Cain kills his brother Abel. Because we see that right here where it says God testifying of his gifts and through it he being dead still speaks. So Abel made this made the hall of faith here because even in his in his sacrifice him being a living sacrifice you know 
to the sin of his brother speaks volumes from the grave, even to today. You know, who... What I, what I recognize in, in my failure is sometimes the inability to overcome you know, my angry spouts, my anger issues. Because my... even God gives Cain a warning. He says, sin is crouching at your door. And what did he do? He just let, he let sin right in. He wasn't being observant of the way God wanted um, the sacrifice to be fulfilled. And I, I love that, that this gives us a picture of faith and works. Okay, So faith, the sacrifice of faith is from Abel. The sacrifice of works is from Cain. And your sacrifice of works doesn't cut it. It's your sacrifice of faith that pleases God. And we're going to see, how did that, how did God, uh, you'll, you'll see in the, um, in the Old Testament how God was pleased by those sacrifices, especially that one of Abel, by, by what he would do is he would consume it with fire. So fire from heaven would come down. We saw that with Elijah, right? When Elijah put those bulls mocking the gods of Baal, and God came down and spoke through fire, said, I, this is the sacrifice that pleases me. And again, all these sacrifices, you guys, pointing to Jesus. They point to Jesus, the, the ultimate sacrifice, the one that is the lover of our soul, that, that died for us, that, that humbled himself, became a servant, crawled up on the cross, and said, I'm going to be the sacrifice that none of you can be. And he fulfilled that perfectly. And Abel is pointing to that. I want us to look at verse 5. Verse 5 is really cool. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Then it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we're going to close out with these two verses. Now Enoch is a is kind of a cool dude. I like Enoch. Enoch at age sixty five had a son named Methuselah. Isn't that a cool name, Methuselah? And Enoch, it says that Enoch walked with God and then was no more. So what does that mean? He just was walking with God, and then all of a sudden, vanished. And he went to be with God. He had his own personal rapture. Now, there's something cool about that. A man that walks with God, or a woman that walks with God. 
in that intimacy. What was it about Enoch's faith that allowed him to do that? What was it? I think Enoch fulfilled the purpose of man. I'm going to read this passage out of Revelation chapter 4. Starting in verse 8, it says, The four living creatures, each having six wings, they're full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before their throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. I think that was the heart of Enoch that he was just a worshiper of the Lord. Now, Enoch had the son Methuselah, who, by the way, lived the long, he's one that lived the longest in the entirety of the scripture. I think it was 962 years, something around there. And, and I don't know if Enoch walked with the Lord those first 65 years, but when he got that baby boy, Methuselah, it seemed like he walked with the Lord. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to guess that um, as parents, some of you, that when, you, when your child was born, that was a, a moment in your life where you like, there was, there was a, there's a path, there's a, there's a distinct, man, I'm no longer, it's just me and my wife. There is a child now involved. And we got to really, now all eyes are on us as parents. And we got to be walking with the Lord. A good parent walks with the Lord so that their kids can see that righteousness, that they can see that intimacy that you have with the Lord. And I think Enoch exemplified that he was it says he was pleasing to god that there was a, there was something in enoch's faith that pleased the lord and when you're discouraged if you find discouragement in your life where you're walking in this place of discouragement there is no better cure for that than spending time with the Lord and zapping that away. I, 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 can't, I can't think of anything that would replace that. I know when I'm discouraged, that's, that's where I go. I've tried going to movies. I've tried doing other things, and it doesn't work. But when I go right to the Lord, I go, Lord, my heart's discouraged. Will you encourage me? When I, when I walk with him, 
that's when it that's when the difference is made. And I love this part. Verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's another thing that will take away discouragement, is diligently seeking the Lord. You know, um, I know there, were time, there was a time in my life you know, where I was, I was literally a lukewarm Christian. I don't even know if I was a Christian. From age 18 to 28, I spent 10 years in a backslidden state. I didn't go to church. I didn't fellowship. I didn't read my Bible. There was nothing for 10 years. It, it was just, it was empty. You know? And there was a tragedy that happened in my life and and it caused me, and it shook me to the core. And it was something that I said, okay, this is a defining moment. I'm either going to follow God, or I'm going to keep following my own way. And I, and I had to. I had to make a decision. Now, the writer of Hebrew doesn't say that it is difficult to please God without faith. He says it's impossible. Big difference. You know, I made it difficult, but that wasn't good enough. I needed my faith to be a faith to make it possible to please him, to to bring me into that place where I said, Lord, I'm yours. I'm fully yours. And I, I've had many crossroads in my life where I, I've had to make that decision. I'll tell you one crossroad of faith that I had to, I had to make that decision. I was about 35 years old. And I was, again, I was, as I mentioned, I was working in the hotel industry in, at Four Seasons. And I was working and I was attending church. And I was one of the leaders in the church and, and just loving it and and. And I, again, at this time, I believe I was at Skyline Church with Rob as one of his elders. And I get a phone call from my previous church in Santa Barbara, Calvary, Santa Barbara. And they said, hey, we've been, all these years, we've been grooming you to be a leader and someday be a pastor. So that, that day has come. <laughs> and I had to make a decision. And I was at the time I was making good money in my job. It was it was paying the bills. It was it was it was up and down, but at that time when I got that phone call and uh, I knew going into the ministry you would my salary would be just cut cut into a third. I'd be, I'd be making thirty percent less. And um, I asked my wife, I go, well, what do you want to do? You're in this together. We're, we're, it's, it's not a, you know, this is all or nothing. Our whole family is in this. So we're going to do this. And I remember my wife saying, honey, you do what God tells you to do. 
Whatever he tell, tells us to do, we'll do. And so she was in. Her faith, it seemed like, was stronger than mine. I was trying to think of, like, how are we going to pay for this and do all this? And that's what men do. We try to figure out all the mental gymnastics. Is how do we make this work? And so we just we just said, okay, we're going to sell the home, and, and we're just by faith. And I remember Rob just telling me, bro, just go for it, man. And he encouraged me. He was one of those leaders in my life at a pinnacle point where he just said, no, go for it, do it. And um, and I did, and, and, you know, we struggled in the beginning, and then God just somehow met every need. But you know what he met more than every need? He met the things that I could not see. He met the unseen needs. He, he, he did healing in me. He did a healing in my family, in my wife. He grew us in that time. I mean, he, 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 he allowed me to be in ministry to, to touch the lives of his people. I said, God, I'm not, I'm not worthy of that. I didn't even have that faith to, to even think about doing that. It was nothing that I ever aspired to do. But God is sometimes going to open doors for us to walk in that we think are impossible. And so when we say, when he says that it's impossible to please him without faith, that means with faith, it's possible. With faith, it's possible. And if we please the Lord, I'm sure it's going to please us, right? That we're going to walk away going, I can do this. And I know a lot of you are probably trying to figure out mental gymnastics as Susie and I have, like, how are we going to get this bill paid? How are we going to, maybe there's a job in front of you that looks frightening or scary or daunting, or maybe you young couples are thinking about, gosh, should I get, should we have kids? What, you know? Don't worry about that. Again, it takes a little mustard seed of faith to move those mountains. And you know what? And when we just apply that little mustard seed of faith, it pleases God. He says, I, I, I love it. I'm so happy, he says. I'll close with this passage, Hebrews 12. Because as we go through Hebrews 11, and Rob's going to do a far better job of going through Hebrews 11 with us and going through all the cul-de-sacs and all the main roads of faith. We're going to come at the end to 12 where it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these past fathers that have witnessed God's miracles in their own lives, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Isn't that cool? That we could, as we run the Christian life, that God just says, lay away the weights of your mind. Lay away the weights of worry. Lay away the weights of sin. 
run the race that I've called you to race. I have witnesses that have done it before you, and they and they and they're cheering for you. They're pleased. And then it says this, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The author and finisher of our faith. It means that what Jesus authored and started, he's going to finish. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Man, what a victory. What a victory that we can have with faith. So I'm going to pray for us right now as we close. Lord, would you right now, Lord, fall upon us. Would you give us through the, the days and the months ahead an extra dose of your faith. God, would you show us how to live this life that we may please you, that we may walk with you, that we would be like Abel, Lord, being one to say, Lord, we want to do this the right way. And Lord, um, things that we can't see that are fuzzy, Lord, give us spiritual eyes to see. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit's doing. Move us, Lord, into that place of deeper love, of deeper faith for one another, for our families, for our coworkers, Lord, for our church family. Take that little mustard seed, Lord. You promised that that little mustard seed, we can move big problems and mountains in our lives. We need today, Lord, that. And Lord, we pray, God, uh, by your Holy Spirit, that you would use your word to embolden us and to strengthen us. Jesus, we declare we love you and we praise you. And we give you this time right now. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen.